Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 886. Well, once again, our thoughts are with the people of Ukraine, where more than 6 million people, mostly women and children, have left to seek safety in neighboring countries. More than 8 million people displaced inside the country as the attacks continue. Uh, So many thoughts and prayers are needed, but more than that is needed, too. And if you'd like to make a more concrete gesture. A great way to do it is through the International Rescue Committee. They have some wonderful ways to help, and they're easy to find at rescue.org. That's rescue.org. Meanwhile, the operative phrase today is let's go birding together. June is Pride Month. Lots of folks are celebrating, including us here at Talking Birds, and it also includes National Audubon. They're celebrating with Let's Go Birding Together bird walks and other LGBTQ inclusive activities all month long. You can find uh, those events at audubon.org. Just do a search there for Let's Go Birding Together. Well, our Freya McGregor has created something uh, very special. She did this a while ago and continues with her audio postcards, avian audio postcards that she sends us from all over the country, Australia too. And this time she's uh, with an audio postcard from a National Wildlife Refuge in Kent County, Delaware. Hi, everybody. It's Freya McGregor here. I am at Bombay Hook National Wildlife Refuge in Delaware. And that noisy blighter is a grey catbird. When they meow, it's sort of easy to remember that they're catbirds, but when they mimic other birds like this one, it can be a little tricky. Luckily, I've got a good view of it, so I know exactly who's calling. (laughs) Right, bye. Thank you, Freya. Not only has Freya given us lots of great audio postcards, but she's also inspired a lot of listeners to make their own audio postcards. And we have another one this morning, a twofer. So we wander north, a ways from Delaware, to Pennsylvania, where Barb Gee and a very vocal friend are waiting. Hi, it's Barb, sending you this audio postcard from Sizerville State Park in northern Pennsylvania. I'm out stalking warblers this morning. It's been a great morning. I've had 10 species. And this winter wren decided to serenade me as I'm out stalking my birds. I've had northern perulas and black burnians and hoodeds. The amount of warblers is just amazing. I'm a Pennsylvania State Park volunteer, very proud of my parks. And there are nine state parks within an hour's drive of my home. So birding has, has just become an obsession for me. Bird nerd classic. Thanks, Ray, for such a great show. And I look forward to hearing you again soon. Goodbye from the Wren. Thank you, Barb. And thank you, Wren's Bird Nerd Classic there. Barb does lots of wonderful work 
in addition to her great birding for state parks all around Pennsylvania. Well, the shores of Delaware Bay have long been considered the number one stopover location for the migratory red knot, especially the Rufa subspecies that winters from the Gulf of Mexico to South America, breeds in Arctic Canada. But according to a study published this spring, a team of ornithologists from South Carolina reports that two islands south of Charleston are at least as important for the red knot's population. Kiowa and Seabrook Islands were in mid-February through mid-May 2021. The team totaled at least 17,247 red knots. That appears to represent about 41% of that subspecies population of 42,000 birds. It's pretty amazing, and I want to give a shout-out here to our friends from down there on Seabrook Island, Nancy is down there, and she has uh, sent us a note. If I can find it, that would be really cool. Um, they're on Seabrook Island, Nancy and Flo. And she says, yes, the red knots are a big deal. That study doesn't surprise us at all. Several of our Seabrook Island birder members participated in counting and documenting banded shorebirds, including the red knots, as well as assisting the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources with banding on new birds. She says we also have an active shorebird steward program on Seabrook Island. It explains to our residents and visitors why shorebirds who use the Seabrook Island beach, why they're so important. And they have a program called Share the Beach, Give Them Space. By the way, they're doing a Zoom presentation on June 8th. If you'd like to check it out, it's uh, Seabrook Island Birders. Org, Seabrook Island org. And what we're hearing there, I say what we're hearing there is our mystery bird, little preview here of our mystery bird contest coming along in just a bit. Our mystery bird is a very large, heavy bodied wading bird of open grasslands, meadows, and wetlands. It's very tall with long legs and a long neck, gray overall. But, uh, blotches of deep tan feathers, and it has a red crown patch. Our bird is known for congregating in huge flocks when migrating, most famously perhaps along the Platte River in Nebraska. It's our mystery bird, the contest coming along in a bit, getting you ready for that and for the prizes that we'll be dispensing, including a 12-ounce bag of delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee. Plus, a $15 gift certificate for Beautio Books, home of one of the largest selections of birding books in the world, all on our upcoming Mystery Bird Contest. Here's another salute, or a salute this morning. It's to a couple more of our wonderful Talking Birds ambassadors helping us get the word out about the show and about birds and conservation. And thank you to Sharon Wood, from Center Reach, New York. Thank you so much, Sharon. And thank you to Ron McNeil from Locust Grove, Georgia. Ron says he's been listening to the show for just over two years. Likes the content. And thank you, Ron. Thank you, Sharon. To become part of our growing Ambassadors family, just click on the Get Involved tab at TalkingBirds.com. 
Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with our friend Maine Audubon's Nick Lund and the wonderful Maine Audubon American Birding Association Field Guide to the Birds of Maine is the topic. Nick will be with us in just a few minutes. And we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor in a Let's Ask Mike segment, almost live from the archive. And up next, a bold and beautiful boreal breeding bird is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatcher, a bird watching magazine. That's Bird Watching magazine for more than a quarter century. Bird Watching has been America's leading magazine for birds and birding. Sugar Magnolia, well, the Grateful Dead had their Sugar Magnolia, but we have a magnolia of our own. It's our featured feathered friend. Cetophica magnolia, the magnolia warbler. When the great ornithologist Alexander Wilson collected a warbler from a magnolia tree in 1910, he called it the black and yellow warbler, but used magnolia for the scientific species name, and that eventually became its common name too. Breeding males have white, gray, and black backs with black stripes on the yellow sides and belly and white, gray, and black markings on the forehead. Females and immatures have similar but duller coloration. The magnolia breeds across Canada as far west as parts of British Columbia and down through the east coast of the U.S. It's a rare visitor to the west coast and winters in Central America and the Caribbean. The magnolia warbler is often a bit easier to observe than some other warblers, since it tends to stay low in shrubbery and trees, hopping along branches and gleaning insects, mostly from the underside of vegetation. Here's a song sample. According to National Audubon, the fact that the magnolia warbler favors second-growth habitats both up north in summer and in the tropics in winter It hasn't been impacted by habitat destruction as much as some other migrants. Their populations increased by nearly 1% per year from 1966 to 2019. The Magnolia Warbler, Cetophica Magnolia, today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again. It's our show number 886. Well, we have a guest here this morning, good friend of ours, returning back to the show on a different topic today, and we were looking around to see a, a, an appropriate intro for him, and here's the one we found from Workman Publishing. It says, Nick Lund is a nature writer who mostly writes silly things about birds on Twitter when he should be working. His writing on birds and nature has appeared in Audubon Magazine, National Parks Magazine, Slate.com, The Washington Post, the Maine Sportsman, the Portland Phoenix, Down East Magazine, and others. He's a graduate of the University of Maine School of Law and has worked in federal energy policy in Washington, D.C., before returning to Maine with his wife and son to work for Maine Audubon. None of that sounds very silly to me. He's also the author of the new American Birding Association Field Guide to the Birds of Maine, and he's here today to tell us about that. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Ray. How are you? Thanks for having me back. You are welcome. You had something to do with that description of you being writing silly stuff, I think, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, usually authors write their own bios, so I put whatever <laughs> I wanted in there. I, I, You know, I 
held myself back from including the word handsome in there, but you know, I, I should have, I guess. That should have been in there. I was just, just yeah. thinking that. And I'm seeing you on Zoom here right now, so I can attest to that. Yeah, even with my morning hair. Yeah. In real time here, for sure. So it's the American Birding Association Field Guide to the Birds of Maine. You're, uh, you are the author of the photographs by Brian E. Small. Tell us a bit mm-hmm. about this uh, book, a little overview. Sure. Well, um, this is part of the American Birding Association's State Field Guide series, which has uh, 20 plus uh, field guides now to different states. Mm-hmm. They are sort of geared towards intermediate beginner birders, letting them know an overview of the, the avifauna in the state. And I am born and raised proudly in the state of Maine <laughs> and was honored to be asked to put together this guide. There hasn't been a guide like this in, in over 20 years to the to the guides of uh, to the birds of Maine. Mm-hmm. This one has uh, 265 species, which is a pretty good swath of yeah. the birds you could expect to find up here. And it covers the birds from from York County to a rustic and everywhere in between. There are so many field guides that are coming out all the time. You, there, it must be a challenge to kind of find a new approach to how to, how to do that. What, what would you say about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the approach here is focused on this state. You know, a lot of people come up and they don't want to have to worry about uh, you know, a guide that may show them things to out west or isn't focused solely on the state that they're in. It really helps, I think, to have a book that is uh, for a lot, especially beginners, focused on the area where you are. So when a lot of people live or visit Maine, um, this is this tells you exactly, you know, hot spots you can go. Uh, the text includes, you know, counties or hot spots or parks or whatever in Maine that you mm-hmm. can you're more likely to see these species. And so it helps you sort of uh, focus your understanding uh, when you're when you're in one place. And why would you go anywhere else besides this great state? That's that's the other thing. Yeah, well, wonderful photos here by Brian Small, who I guess does all the photographs for this whole uh, series, American Birding Association. Um, but that's a challenge too, right? Getting kind of coordinating these photos, picking out yeah. the photos, and all that. <laughs> How does that I work? tell you, it is. That was one of the hardest parts of putting this together. Is that you know what they what they do? Uh, Scott Nix is the the publisher. They sent me this uh, uh, thumb drive with like tens of thousands of photos from Brian Small, this incredibly good photographer. And you know, so for every species, you have to go and wade through a huge list of photos of each species and try to figure out you know which one is the best, which one shows the ID points you need, and. Uh, things like that, and that <laughs> took a long time because these photos are absolutely beautiful. They they are indeed. Well, another thing in the book that I I really like, and this is part of the uh, ABA format, I guess, for all these field guides, is a year in Maine birding. So you take each month of the year and talk about what which birds are likely to be seen, and also where you can uh, likely see them. Yeah, and I think this is a really important thing for especially for new birders. It's to understand that birding isn't just a spring and summer activity. It's it, it, like we all know, who've been at this a long time, that every month brings its own excitement, brings its own variety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Maine, especially, it, you know, uh, you know the Maine, what the Maine winters are like. Sometimes They're birding, cold. getting out looking for birds is not the top of mind. <laughs> it's mostly sort of um, cowering in your, uh, in your bed under blankets, I think. Um, but that's really important to let people know that this isn't just a one time of year activity. And so we cover month by month, you know, in January, if you want to get out, get out to the ocean and look for some sea ducks. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you can mm-hmm. see in the winter that you can't see in the summertime um, and goes through month by month where it talks about the different migrations and, mm-hmm. you know, breeding birds and young birds in the middle of the summer. 
um, I think it's an important lesson for, for new birders. All right. It's the Field Guide to Birds of Maine, American Birding Association presentation. Nick Lund is the author of the photographs by Brian E. Small. And uh, just a, a terrific book, and it's available right now. Nick, am I right? It is available now um, uh, on Beauty of Books, which you mentioned before, uh, among other sites. Um, and so pick up a copy. Yeah, we love to give a plug to Beauty of Books. They're a great supporter of our show, that beautyofbooks.org is their website. The American Birding Association Field Guide to Birds of Maine, Nick Lund. And if you're in Maine or thinking about going there and you just heard some good reasons to do so, uh, this is the book. Nick, thank you so much. Ray, a pleasure. Good to see you. Nick Lund here on Talking Birds. And up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. There's that mystery bird. And this time it's for the actual contest, and we invite you to call. In fact, we urge you to do that as quickly as you can if you'd like to take part in our contest. As always, correct answer makes you a winner. And if you are close to maybe the correct answer and no one gets the exact the exact uh, ID, uh, then you could be a winner based on a little drawing that we'll do. So give it a try and give us a call and tell us what you think that bird is. is the number. We'll give the number again in a moment. Our mystery bird is very large, a heavy-bodied wading bird of open grasslands, meadows, and wetlands, very tall with long legs and a long neck. It's gray overall, blotches of deep tan feathers, and it has a red crown patch. Famously uh, known for congregating in huge flocks when migrating, and most famously, maybe, along the Platte River, in Nebraska, what a what a spectacle that is! Um, sometimes as many as four hundred thousand of these birds, which I almost named but didn't quite. Seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred is the number. Prizes include a twelve ounce bag of delicious bird friendly, shade grown birds and beans coffee, and a fifteen dollar gift certificate from that great place we mentioned moments ago, Beautio Books, one of the largest selections there of birding books in the world. If there's time for a mystery bird bonus question, we always hope to do that. We'll also offer a $20 certificate for uh, Wisdom Supply, makers of plastic-free books, notepads, and journals, and other supplies for classroom and office. 781-837-4900 is the number. Meanwhile, 
down on Cape Cod. Mike O'Connor is there in a virtual kind of way. It's Let's Ask Mike Live, almost live from the archive in just one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com. B-U-T-E-O. Beautyobooks.com. My name is Thomas Orfan, and I'm calling from Colorado Springs, Colorado. I look forward every week to learning and laughing with Ray on Talking Birds, and I'm always excited to share that experience with someone else. All listeners should become Talking Birds ambassadors, because the only thing better than getting to listen to the show every Sunday is getting to tell people what they're missing out on. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family at TalkingBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. As promised, it's Mike O'Connor live from beautiful Cape Cod and the famous Birdwatchers General Store. I almost said infamous. I don't know why I almost said infamous, but famous. Uh, <laughs> you won't be the first to say that, even if you did say it. Uh-huh. We'll, have to talk, we'll have to talk about that on the uh, on the late night portion of our of our show here at some point. <laughs> So, Mike, you want to you want to kind of educate people about feeding hummingbirds because you you you've been trying to do that for I mean, what more than um, oh I don't know a quarter of a century and still yeah, not thirty eight years right yeah. thirty eight years wow yeah 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 I listen to you talk about well, this is our eight hundred and thirty six show oh give me a break I do that in a year that's nothing yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, right, and it's funny because, you know, you say the same thing over and over, and, you know, and and I've talked about this on the show, but you get new listeners and people forget, so, Mm -hmm. and then they, and and for some reason, especially in our area, we're out of Cape Cod and there's a lot of, you know, kind of crunchy, hippie-ish people out here, (laughs) And, and the idea of giving hummingbirds sugar is offensive to them because they find sugar offensive. I mean, we've yeah. always heard too much sugar is bad. You know, mm-hmm. I get that. Too much sugar is not good for you in your diet and stuff. So they don't want to give that to the hummingbirds. But unfortunately, that's what the hummingbirds require. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they people want to put in honey or maple syrup or agave is a, a big thing. Or they want to put in that kind of a molasses or that natural sugar, you know, that brown, gritty stuff that my uncle used to call sand because my mother used it. None of that is really good for the hummingbirds. It's, it gets it actually forms a fungus. And uh, and don't use alternatives like NutraSweet or Sweet and Low. I don't even know oh. if they still make that, but that yeah. don't use any of those. Use the cheap, low-end table sugar. You know, you know, if you don't have any, just go to a coffee shop and steal some packs. You didn't hear that from me. <laughs> but, you know, just use simple sugar. And don't even buy, get to that. I mean, we sell the stuff also that people can, you know, that comes in a package. Don't even use that. Just get sugar and take a quarter of a cup of sugar and a cup of water. It's that simple. And put in some tap water. You don't have to boil it. That's, you know, everybody wants to boil it because they just want it to be harder than it's necessary. You don't j- just, but you need to stir it around and then fill your feeder and, and the birds will come. Now, you don't have to add red food coloring either. That's, that's you know, in the old days, I think we didn't have many um, good hummingbird feeders. And now the hummingbird feeders all have a red cover on it. The red does attract the birds. 
just use the, the your feeder will have plenty of red on it, so you need to add the, the red food coloring. But all these things that people worry about and they neglect the most important thing is keeping the food fresh. It it spoils and gets moldy after a couple of days. And so, and I know a lot of beginners, they put the feeder out and then two weeks later, no birds have come and they wonder why. Because it's really a little bit of a process at the beginning. Once the birds start coming, you know, they'll drink the sugar and water and then you'll know, well, it's active and I gotta keep it going. But if it sits empty for a while, then they, they think, you know, they. They think, well, there's food, they'll come. After a couple of days, the stuff spoils. So more importantly than all the other things, boiling and red dye, is to keep the food fresh. And then the birds will come. It doesn't hurt to have some flowers. The other, the other thing that I've been learning about, a lot of the flowers that we get because we think are, are good, a lot of them don't even have a lot of nectar in them because they've been, you know, hybrid to look pretty and last longer. But So do a little flower research. But that's another show, right? That is another another show. By the way, it's, uh, you probably already said this, but it's kind of four to one, right? Water to sugar? Just, yeah, take a cup of water, yeah. add a quarter of a cup of sugar, or if you want two cups, put a half a cup of sugar, but it's always that four-to-one formula. All right. Well, there it is. There's the info on feeding the hummingbirds, and we'll do it again next year. All right. <laughs> sure. All, All right. right. Happy Pride Month, Ray. Happy Pride Month to you. Thank you, Mike. Mike okay. O'Connor there at the legendary Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod. Back to the Mystery Bird Contest right after this. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. And on to the Mystery Bird Contest. Once again... Playing our bird a little more softly this time. 781-837-4900 is the number by which to identify this large, heavy-bodied wading bird of open grasslands, meadows, and wetlands. What is that bird? Betsy is calling from the very famous town of Manomet, Massachusetts, home of Manomet, the wonderful and famous and important conservation organization there. Good morning, Betsy. Good morning, Ray. How are you this morning? Doing well, and you? Good. It's a gorgeous morning. It's a beautiful, beautiful day for sure. What do you think, uh, Betsy, on the uh, on the old mystery bird there? I'm thinking it's a whooping crane. A whooping crane is uh, Betsy's answer, and the uh, the orchestra, the uh, soloist there says that's close, <laughs> right. but no cigar. Okay, keep listening. All right, thank you, thank you, Betsy. Bye bye. All right, not a whooping crane, but may we say that's pretty close, and a bird. Associated certainly with this one as well. Dawn is in Quincy, Massachusetts. Good morning, Dawn. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think, Dawn? Mm-hmm. You just heard that guess for a whooping crane, which uh, might have you know led you to the uh, answer for what this bird actually is here. Um, my guess is a sandhill crane. A sandhill crane. What a top quality guess that is there, and that would be that would be correct as a matter of fact. Yeah. Sandhill Crane. Have you ever traveled to Nebraska, by the way, uh, Dawn, to the Platte River to see that migration? No, I haven't. All right. Well, put that on your list, would you? I will. That's a good, (laughs) it's an amazing (laughs) experience. Hey, we have a little time for a mystery bird bonus question. Would you like to give it a try? I'll give it a try. All right. Here it is. And this is for a certificate to wisdom supply if you get this uh, get this right each spring and autumn the skies in southern denmark 
come to life with the swirling displays of hundreds of thousands of starlings, an event they call Sort Sol. Don't uh, hold me tightly to that pronunciation. What is this <clears throat> Black Sun event? That's the translation there. Is it A, a total solar eclipse? B, flocks of starlings? C, the Aurora Borealis? Or D, National Shades Day, when everyone puts on sunglasses to honor sunglass inventor Niels Hansen. I don't think that would be uh, be the one there, but it must be mm-hmm. one of those other ones. What do you think? Well, at first I was thinking the Aurora Borealis, but mm-hmm. then as you went on, I'm going to take a guess at a solar eclipse. A solar eclipse. We don't want to hear that trumpet again, do we? No. It's not a solar eclipse. It's actually the flocks of starlings. It's what they call the murmuration, generally what it's referred to as the murmuration. A truly amazing thing. Uh, Go online and you can see hundreds of videos of starling murmurations. They are pretty spectacular. But uh, you you did win our mystery bird contest, if I remember correctly. So stay on the line, Dawn, and we'll arrange things. Okay, thank you very much, Ray. <laughs> thank you so much. We are out of time for this morning's show. Next week we have uh, another wonderful guest talking about BIPOC birding. BIPOC is an acronym for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. And our guests will talk about some of their challenges and successes as part of one of those categorized groups. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. The bird show, I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautyo Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com.